right, we are live with the To The Heights podcast. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Olivia Colombo. Um, I'm a Boston College student. I'm studying theology. Um, and this is a brand new podcast. It's less than a year old. Um, and it's inspired by the words of Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati um, and his catchphrase, Verso Le Alto. Um, I am so excited for the opportunity to be recording here. And I have a very special guest with me. Would you like to introduce yourself? I would be glad to. And I'm Father Cassidy Stinson. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Richmond, and I'm here in this wonderful little bus or van, I guess this is what this is, Yeah. here at SLS 20 with Olivia. Oh, yeah. I am very psyched with this van. Last year, it was like a glass booth, and when I got the email that it was going to be a van, um, I was like... Yeah, a van was way cooler. Yes, super cool. Um, also, Father Cassidy is at the Happy Priest, if anyone knows him better by that. But Father Cassidy has many followers online. I'm on Twitter um, occasionally. He, he is one of the kings of Catholic Twitter. Um, yes. I think the actual title of king of Catholic Twitter actually goes to Father Harrison, who was just yes. outside of the van. So shout out to Father I'm Harrison. I, he's still in the neighborhood. Yes. <laughs> Come back to us. Um, anyway, so the basis of the To the Heights podcast is every episode we interview someone different who is reaching to the heights in their own way. We've had um, youth ministers. We've had people who work in life teen programs. Um, it's all centered around young people of the Catholic Church, given that Pierre was 23 when he died. Um, and it, he was all about helping young people. So um, we are talking about media today, given that we have one of the... What do you want? The prince of Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> no. Okay. One I'm more, just a, a loud media enthusiast. I like that. I might call the episode that. Um, (laughs) but since we have someone from Catholic Twitter today and a lot of this conference is based around the media we are going to be talking about Catholic usage of media um, and how we can use media to evangelize and we actually took questions from the audience and from our Twitter followers and Instagram followers and such but before we get into any of those questions um, kind of with it in the back of our heads that we're going to be talking about media um, I do want to get to know you a little bit better as a guest before we dive into all of that um, so would you like to tell us where you're from, where you went to school, what you're up to now, when you were ordained? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super short bio. Um, yeah. So I went to the College of William and Mary in Virginia. I've grown up in Virginia pretty much all of my life. And I, my, probably the most germane fact about me is I come from a family of converts, so that's really impacted my faith journey a lot. Um, I started discerning the priesthood when I was in college and pretty quickly discerned, I think, you know, around my junior year of college that I wanted to seriously consider the priesthood. So right after college, I entered formation at a theological college up at Catholic University in Washington, D.C. And since then, um, I only just got ordained six months ago. So I am in every way, shape, and form a baby priest. And everyone, <laughs> everyone likes to call me that. So yes. brand yes, new to do. it. I'm still getting used to priestly ministry and what that entails, but it's been a ton of fun and a great joy so far. Yeah, yeah. If we have any time, I would love to talk about that and like. Oh yeah. Yes, <laughs> there's so much there. Um, so much. And that's so awesome. Um, but when you were at seminary um, at Catholic University, you started something. Would you like to talk about that? Sure. Okay. So, like I said, I'm a big fan of the media in general. I've <laughs> been thinking about um, how to use media specifically for evangelization since. I think really early on in my formation, and it really came about accidentally. I noticed that just the way I was using my social media to talk about my journey going through priestly formation was something that was 
shaping the opinions and the outlook of people who I knew back home. I was just using Facebook at the time. And I would notice that when I would come home and just talk to people about my journey in discernment, they would be um, really, like, I think they had a more positive response to it than I was expecting. Like, I had friends who were not Catholic. Like, they were, they were some of them were Baptist, and I was expecting them to have this really anti-Catholic, anti-priesthood outlook on what I was doing with my life, to, like, judge me, to think poorly of me for it. But instead, they said they could see how much joy I had in what I was doing, and they loved it. Like, like I, I was kind of blown away by the positive response. So I started to realize that the way I was putting myself out there on the media was actually starting to shape people's opinions about, I mean, first about what I was doing with my life, but then actually, even beyond that, like, some of them are starting to shape their opinions about the Catholic Church. So I started thinking, like, all right, this is powerful. Like, if this is happening unintentionally, like, what if people started to think about how you can impact people's lives through the media if you decide to use it for evangelization, right? Yeah. So that was something I've been experimenting with. And then about a year ago, um, a good friend of mine, Deacon Anthony Ferguson, and I, as we were getting ready for our year of formation, it was right around when the scandal broke. All the news articles started to come out um, about everything that was going on in the church. And we decided that the two of us, both of us have this great passion for using the media for evangelization. And Deacon Ferguson is a graphic designer by trade before he became a seminarian, and so he was always passionate about using art. And he's a great artist. He's uh, done some really wonderful things with art um, and sharing his faith. And both of us said we wanted to try and encourage other people to just experiment with us, to think about how they could use the media in all its forms, not just social media, but media in general, for handing on the gospel. And what we decided to do was we started digging into some of the church's documents around uh, social communication. And what we discovered was that the church has actually called for priests to be formed in using the media. Uh, if you look at Intermerifica from the, the Second Vatican Council, yes. it says priests should be using this as part of their ordinary preaching ministry, is to use the tools of social communication to get the message of the gospel out. And podcasting, of course, is a great example of how you can do this in a modern context. So what we decided to do was to um, start this, I guess, media literacy program at our seminary with the blessing of our faculty. And what we did was we worked with the faculty to develop a program where seminarians could just experiment with trying different forms of media evangelization and also benefit from workshops that we would put on. So we've had people uh, live stream in, video call in from Life Team and you know, talk about what good parish social media could look like. And our applied way of doing this was we actually started a podcast through the seminary called The Big Tree, and it's part of this larger program called the Alberioni Project. So I know you've interviewed a couple of people with connections to the Paulines. Yes, I have, Sister Bethany being one of them. Yep, so they're near and dear to our hearts, and the daughters of St. Paul are kind of like the spiritual moms of this project. So we love them, shout out to all of them. Yes. And, um, We've taken this whole project as a way to, I think, bring some light into what is normally talked about in a very negative way in the life of the church, right? Which yes, is this whole sure. question of how the media impacts the world, impacts the church. And very often, you know, when you're in Catholic circles, you're talking about social media. It's always painted as something that is leading people away from God, right? And if you're here at SLS, if you're listening live, like you know that Dr. Sri was talking about in his talk, 
how if you use social media and you use you know, technology wrong, it can lead to separation and isolation. So the question we're trying to ask is, how can we turn that around and use it in a way that glorifies God? Yes, for sure. Both in our own daily lives, like what's, what's a healthy boundary, um, but then like for evangelization purposes. Um, all right, so we have questions that people have asked us um, on Twitter, on Instagram, etc. Um, all right, let's find a good one to, to kick yeah, it off. Start off with something fun. Fun? <laughs> fun. Pick a, good, pick a good one. We got um, some good ones. I feel like my mic is cutting it out. Okay. Um, here's one that you responded to. Um, there are so many priests who are really good at social media, but I hear a lot of older priests who just are anti-social media for themselves, but are skeptical of social media as an overall. What are some inter- intergenerational conversations that are happening among p- priests regarding social media? So I think one of the biggest challenges to this whole question, um, at least in my experience, has been the fact that a lot of older generations of clergy just aren't familiar with the media in general. And like we, by nature, tend to be, as human beings, kind of scared of things we're not familiar with, right? Mm. So like, it's not so much, like, I haven't seen so much, um, I've seen a little bit of resistance to the idea of social media in general. So that was one of the things that we started thinking about and we noticed pretty early on was in seminary, a lot of the priests, if they had opinions about social media, it was that it was like the devil, right? And like (laughs) social media is killing your soul. Like you should turn off everything that you Mm -hmm. have. Um, And that was something we saw in some, some circles of seminary formation. So I think there are some, there are some priests who see it in a negative light, but it's really just because they've seen where it can go wrong, right? It's very easy to focus on the negative. Um, And often the message about the good that it does is a lot more quiet, right? Mm -hmm. We often don't hear about the good things that it's accomplishing in people's lives. So, Again, I think a lot of it is really just, even for older generations, introducing them to its potential. Yes. Right? Because yeah. the flip, what's the flip side? It's like a lot of pastors have used things like Bishop Barron's media programs and video programs. Yeah. Like we routinely use media as a way to catechize. Mm-hmm. It's something that's a big part of our lives. But right now, I think there's a lot of new technologies and a, new, a lot of new platforms that are coming out, and they still haven't been normalized, Right. There isn't a model for how to necessarily use these tools in a parish setting in a normal kind of church environment to hand on the gospel, right? We've Mm -hmm. got videos because we've been playing around with movies and with television and things like that as a form of catechesis for a while. But we have to remember that wasn't always, you know, something that everyone was comfortable with. This is something that is new in the life of the church. So, you know, podcasting and things similar, I think we still have a similar area of growth. True, yeah. And what you say about how, like, I don't know, there's so much of a negative conversation going on around the church and media, but there isn't much of the positive conversation, and that's kind of what we need to focus on. Especially, I don't know, I worked in a life team program in high school. I was on core, um, and we were always talking about, like, social media detox and, like, putting down your phone and, like, what a gift it is when you go on a mission trip to like a third world country and you leave your phone behind. Um, And obviously those are positive experiences and like detoxing from social media is a good thing every once in a while and going on retreat and turning your phone off is good. Um, But when those are the only conversations that a priest is having with his people or a youth minister is having with their youth group, 
You know what I mean? There's no example of how to use it in a positive way. Right. So, like, what's the subtext there? It's like we're all, like, horribly addicted and we don't know what to do yes. about it, right? Yeah, and that we have no control. <laughs> it's like maybe there's a, yeah. a middle ground that we can find. Yeah, we're almost, like, giving it power. Like, it's like a thing, whereas it's just a tool that we can use in either direction. Yeah. All right, solid question. Um, short answer, there should be a conversation about it and more of a conversation around the good things. Yeah, and I think, I think the conversation is happening. It's just taking time, and it takes yes. time for people to get comfortable. True. All right, second follow-up question to that. For those of you who are active on Twitter, how do you balance care for those of us who are in your online flock with care for those who are in your parish? Is that ever a difficult balance? That is a great question because I think it's one of the big criticisms that gets lobbied at... Uh, all of us who are act, all of us priests who are yes. active on social media is like, don't you have anything better to be doing with your time? Mm -hmm. Right? Don't you have like people to take care of and like people to visit in the hospital? So I think, I mean, first, it's a good question because it's coming from the right place and recognizes that our primary ministry is, in fact, the care of souls in our parish, right? So as a priest, like, your ministry is what the bishop has asked you to do. And in my case, I've been asked to be the vicar for a parish. Right, so those souls, those people have primary pride of place in my ministry. So I have to constantly be asking myself, am I giving them the time that they deserve? Am I responding to that call? Am I being responsible with how I'm using my time? That being said, so for me, I think of it actually, I think of this kind of, I guess if you want to call it ministry, whatever, whatever you call the time <laughs> that we spend on Twitter, yeah. right? You know, it's partly a hobby and it's partly not, right? Because, and I think a lot of a lot of priesthood is like that because you never like turn off your priesthood, Priest like you know, yeah. you never stop being a priest. So like, you know, I have a a good a good analogy is I have a classmate who is like way into CrossFit and like he goes to CrossFit because he loves CrossFit and he works out and like he's doing that because it's something that brings him joy and brings life uh, to him. But he's also like bringing people into his parish by doing that because he's getting to know folks in the gym and he's bringing them to his parish he's inviting them to the mass and like i think it's there's a kind of a parallel there which is that you can be spreading the gospel even when you are relaxing and having fun yes right yeah. like we don't stop being christians when we go on social media i hope and so same for the priesthood i think um if it's something that is in the proper again proper moderated context you know it, it's properly placed in relation to everything else in your life and in your ministry, then it can be something that can bring a lot of good. So, in fact, I've actually started to find that it can even help my priestly ministry in my parish specifically to have um, that kind of presence on social media. Because I had a parishioner who was moving into my area recently, um, Jai Zazito, if you're, if you're listening, shout out. And she reached out to me because she knew I was on Twitter and she knew that uh, I was the parochial vicar here at this parish. And she said, hey, I'm coming in. I would love to meet you. I would love to get to know the parish. And so as soon as she got there, because we had this initial connection through social media, I was able to immediately introduce her to families and to just you know, start this process of integrating their family into the life of the parish. I would not have had that connection without social media. So it's something that I think you have to be creative with how you use it. You know, yeah. It's not going to be the same for everyone. But there's a lot of really interesting ways in which it can augment 
real, you know, quote, air quotes, real life ministry, <laughs> yes. right? If you, if you yeah. use it right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's not like any of those interactions, like introducing parishioners and like connecting with them over Twitter. It's not like those couldn't have been done like over the phone or like via email, but it's just one more option. And you're more likely to catch more people who are more comfortable because that is a reality. Like I, as I'm not even a millennial, I'm younger than that. Um, but like I would way more likely message a new parish priest over Twitter than I would ever pick up the phone, um, as some of us experienced last night when I was trying to order pizza for the first time because I never <laughs> actually picked up the phone and ordered pizza. Um, welcome to the life of an 18-year-old. It's a life skill. Yes. And I didn't get to learn it because they hung up on me and Ava had to call. Um, anyway. So talking about, I mean, talking about the Paulines and St. Paul, I mean, for me, I think this is a very much a matter of being all things to all people, right? Yes. That's That whole principle is if we're going to reach people, and especially people who are not showing up to our parish and showing up to our programs, yeah. we need to figure out where we're going to meet them. And it can be in person, but sometimes it's going to be very hard to reach everybody. Yes. Right? So that's where the media comes in. I think it's a powerful tool. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, kind of a follow-up to that, we got a very interesting question about should we be using our personal social media as this kind of form of evangelization to reach people who might not otherwise like walk into a church? Should it be on our personal pages or should we be creating more blogs and like faith yeah. pages and stuff like that? What's the balance between those and I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a super interesting question in its own right because um, so one thing I think about a lot is uh, as a priest, like I have a much more public profile than I think your average parishioner or average person in parish ministry necessarily does. And like for me, I'm very comfortable being open about the details of my life and ministry online just because I'm already like pretty much in the public light all the time. Like yeah. if I leave my rectory, pretty much guarantee I'm going to run into somebody who knows I'm the priest. Yeah. Right? Whether or not I wear my clerics, whether or not I am... Um, out doing ministry, quote unquote, someone's going to know I'm a priest and they're going to be watching how I live my life and how I act. Yeah. So for that reason, I'm comfortable like doing like, you know, my ministry, if you want to, again, air quotes for <laughs> whatever you call yeah. what we do on social media. I'm very comfortable doing that with my own name. And I think there is an advantage to that, which is that having a personal connection with someone is right. And having, having that, um, what, again, like that, that sort of relational ministry, even through social media, is a lot more real when it's another person on the other end, another face on the other end, um, and not like a brand, quote unquote. Yeah, right? I agree. So like, I think, I think that's one of, the, one of the big challenges, right? So if you've got, it's going to depend on what kind of ministry you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish. So if you're trying to connect with people even at scale even like hundreds of people as individuals it's going to be much harder to do that as you know yeah. whatever whatever catchy catholic brand you come mm -hmm. up with you know with like a logo as the profile picture rather right. than like your actual face right and nobody yeah. it, it's really interesting because if you pay attention to the way that social media marketing has developed actually in recent months and years uh, there's a constant trend toward making brands interact with people more like people, yes. right? Brands themselves have noticed the power of mm -hmm. interpersonal connection. And so brands now, like Wendy's is pretending to be a person. Arby's yes. is pretending to be a yeah. person. You're like, <laughs> you're, 
you're a, a multi-million dollar conglomeration. Like, you're not another human being. Mm-hmm. And you know there's another human being writing those tweets or, you know, yeah. posts on Instagram, but it's not the same thing. So, no. Um, yeah. Even USCCB. Right. <laughs> their Twitter. That's exactly. Gotten... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but what, what's at the heart of that, right? Is this longing for communion, I think, right? So there's yeah. this very deep longing for interpersonal communion. And I think where media can either fall short or really enhance our ministry as Catholics is in whether or not it facilitates deeper communion. Yeah. Right. So like, is the media leading us to deeper interpersonal connection, uh, both with each other and with God, or is it substituting for it? Mm, yeah. Right. So we had this, I mean, uh, uh, again, I love Twitter for this. We have meetups occasionally, right? I'm sure you've seen those around. So at the Daughters of St. Paul occasionally. Yeah. So just a couple nights ago here at SLS, we had a meetup and we had like 18, 19 people come out to dinner and none of us, as far as I can remember, like, I don't think I'd met anybody who was there in person before SLS. Mm. I don't think I'd met any of them yet. And we were all, you know, within a few minutes, like, this is kind of, like, awkward, like, hey, I know you from the internet and, like, nowhere else kind of conversation, right? But then, like, after a few minutes, right, it's just another person you know. It's another yeah. friend you're, you're getting to know over dinner. Mm-hmm. And this real friendship and communica- communication and communion can start to develop out of that. So that is, an, I think, that kind of thing, right, using social media to bring people of similar minds and charisms together, I think is a beautiful way in which media can facilitate deeper connections similar to if it's going to bring people to mass bring people you know i'm always encouraging people to go to confession through social media like not Not go to confession on social media but like using social media to encourage people to go to confession yeah it is you know just that there are so many ways you can do it Mm -hmm. just be creative right yes for sure all right let's find ourselves another question oh this is an interesting one so what are your feelings let me find the exact wording how do you feel about Pope Francis using social media? What are the pros or cons? See, I feel like I feel like it's almost not fair to say that Pope Francis is using sh- social media. True, yeah. Because I think it's more like Pope Francis's media department is like using social media and sharing things that he's said and written. So like, yeah. I you know, and I I feel good about it in general. Um, yeah. I think there are some challenges to doing that, but I think it's a, a good and beautiful thing for the church to be out here in that space. You know, I wouldn't wouldn't be saying what I was about you know the way that media can enhance our public ministry if I didn't think it would work on these levels. But you have to think about, I guess, with any kind of communication, you have to think about who you're reaching. And his challenge as the Pope is he has to speak to the whole world, world. right? Like, how do you do that? In like 140 characters or less. Exactly. So I think think it's limited in its potential, but it's going to be, I think it's something that will add, it won't do anything. I don't don't think it'll do much bad. It'll certainly continue, I think, to bear fruit. Yeah. Because the church is still, again, the church is still learning how to do this well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What do you think? Okay, so it's not Pope Francis like sitting on his phone if he's as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. What if he were to? Would you? I mean, it would stress everybody at the Vatican out so much. That's true. Right. Think about what we're (laughs) seeing with politics now. Yeah, the amount of like brain power that that would probably take out of the Vatican. No. Yeah. Here, something I've actually been thinking a lot about um, is the potential for bishops to use it to speak to their diocese, though. And a few bishops are starting to experiment with this. But one of the challenges to being a bishop nowadays is it's really hard to exercise that preaching ministry, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Like, how often does a bishop 
see all of his, uh, you know, the people of his diocese. Probably not, right. like, ever. But you could, you know, you if a bishop just literally just goes on Instagram Live, yes. right, all of a sudden he has a platform where he can, like, speak face-to-face with yeah. so many people. So, again, I think this is an area where a lot of people are going to be uncomfortable with that. You know, I'm sure there are diocesan communication directors who would have a heart attack at the thought of letting their True. bishop just, like, you know, rant on social media. But yeah. at the same time, like, think of the potential, the connection that can bring. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's definitely, like, your people can tell, your flock can tell if it's you or your social media department. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there are pros and cons. I'm from Boston. Um, and Cardinal Sean, to my knowledge, does not. It's kind of like Pope Francis. Like, it's his media person, like, copying and pasting things that he's said or dictated or whatever. Um, and they're all very eloquent and well-written. But it would be a completely different ball game. Um, I don't think he has time for that, but... Um, I don't know, something interesting on that kind of vein that Boston has done in recent years is we had a dedicated photojournalist for many years who was George Martel. He was a beautiful photographer, and he would document the Cardinal's, like, life. Every meeting he had, um, every, like, mass, and just these gorgeous, stunning, like, works of art of photos of the Cardinal's daily life and his daily events. And at the end of every week, the pilot um, and the Cardinal, the pilot being the Archdiocese newspaper, um, Cardinal Sean has a blog. I think it's like cardinalseanblog.com or some, something like that. Um, but George Martel would use all of those photos, and the Cardinal would write up a blurb slash someone who's speaking for the Cardinal. Um, and they would put together kind of his journey of what he did that week and every meeting he had and, like, all of the crazy things he did during a week. So he's kind of interacting in, like, a one-sided manner because I don't know if you can comment on the blog. I doubt you can. Um, but that's a step in the right direction because it's more of, like, his voice and his daily life than the Pope, just, like, things that he's written, copied right. and pasted. So I think, like, the next step to that, right, is if you have, like, a really enterprising bishop would be to have someone follow them around and, like, vlog the whole thing, right? That would be so cool. And, like, because then you can take that and, like, where media is so awesome is you can cross-pollinate to different platforms. You can, like, you know, if you have somebody video a homily that he gives, right? Yeah. Then you can take that and you can split it into Instagram video content. You can split it into YouTube mm-hmm. and Twitter and, like, you can get a message, you know, it's something that has its primary impact in person, right? Yeah. But then it's something that can have this ripple effect, right, through all of, all of media and reach people that aren't there, right? Reach people other places in the diocese, so. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. love that kind of thing. Yeah, and Boston has kind of gotten onto that. So we have, like, the official, like, archdiocese accounts, but then something interesting, they started, like, it's called at Evangelize Boston is the username on Instagram and Twitter, but it's kind of a broken down, like more approachable format of that maybe. And it's homily clips and like cool graphics. And like, there's a very awesome graphic designer from Franciscan, um, who's a friend of our youth group, um, who does all the graphic design there, but it's kind of breaking it down and like, I don't know, being more approachable. And I think that's probably where the younger, the younger followers of that flock follow. Yeah. All right. Next question. This, this one's something that I do want to talk about because I have talked about it on the podcast before with Tommy Ty, who's a Catholic therapist and is also super yeah. active on Twitter. Um, but I don't That's think her I'm gonna, boy. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing, but uh, should we try to evangelize people we may not agree with, even if they seem to be a, nu- a nuisance, or should we just block them or mute them? Oh, so the question is, like, it's really, like, what do we do about mean people on the Internet? Yeah, do we block them right. or do we, like, give them a shot and <laughs> what, try and What do you do when faith? somebody comes after you in the comment section? Yeah. Um, yeah, in, this is something where, like, I think 
this is actually an area where as consumers of media and as people who are, I'm, I guess both as consumers and as people who are thinking about using it for evangelization, yeah. we should really think about how this affects our souls because per different personalities are going to react to that kind of thing differently. Yeah. And where a lot of people struggle with social media is when they see things that are going to right, make them angry or, you know, really like hurt them right especially if it's something that's directed at them personally yes. right you put yourself yeah. out in the public eye and then someone comes after you yeah. um you have to really i think discern whether or not that's going to lead you into anger and you know ultimately like sin yes <laughs> right yeah. so that's that's i think one of the biggest dangers in terms of being publicly present on the media um and First off, uh, I guess one of the most important things that I always think we need to keep in mind is the fact that there are always real people on the other end. It yes. doesn't matter if it's an anonymous avatar or, like, you know, somebody... Like, I don't, I don't know, like, there are all kinds of different ways people are going to come after you, but there's always a person on the other end, yeah. right? And so you have to respond with love no matter how you respond. There always has to be love at the heart of it. And whether it is, you know, charitably just responding, res responding to call them out on, you know, what something that they're doing to someone else, or it's, you know, going as far as just, you know, simply blocking them entirely, yeah. we have to do it with the salvation of our soul and the salvation of their, their soul, soul in mind. mind. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. now that being said, like there is some merit, I think, to having a charitable discussion. I hate to use the word argument because it's it kind of almost sounds negative already, but yeah. having some kind of a discussion, if somebody like really actually wants to like give you half, you know, half their attention and like have it, have some rational semblance of an argument, um, because not necessarily because I think you'll convince them. Very rarely will you ever convince someone on the internet. Yeah, never. But <laughs> the flip side of it is if you have a public platform on the internet there are going to be people watching this conversation unfold who are not participating directly. And you should think about the conversation as being for them, not for the person you're arguing with. Because yeah. sometimes you will notice that somebody will be watching the, the things unfold, and they'll notice, one, who's losing their temper. Mm -hmm. They will notice, two, who seems rational and has reason to back yeah. up their arguments, right? So. I think you'll actually, you can convince people, but it's not going to be the person you're picking the fight with or who's picking the fight with you. Yeah. So, like, you shouldn't necessarily always swear off all forms of conflict or disagreement on the Internet, um, but you should also make sure that you don't yourself fall into sin or lead someone into sin. True. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point all around. And in addition to the sin thing but just like knowing yourself the conversation that tommy and ty tommy tommy ty and steve the missionary not combining their names um had was all about i mean tommy being a catholic therapist about like knowing yourself and knowing what your limits are and yeah. like knowing if you're the type of person who's just not in a place to like take an argument or any like i don't know any negativity like know your temperament um for sure um, like I know that I'm a melancholic temperament and like <laughs> we're related to like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh and we sulk in the corner sometimes. So like, I don't always do like the whole fighting on social media thing. So I'm more likely just to block and mute and try and forget it. Right. Um, cause it wouldn't be good for me or for them. Um, but I agree. That's a really good point that it's not, it's not them. It's the people who are watching and like waiting to see like 
are you witnessing to the faith in your exactly. argument? Right. With quotes. You could think about, I mean, like, it's, it's kind of an extreme example, but the example of the martyrs, right? So mm. it was like, who is, who is convinced by the, you know, the martyrs being, you know, you know being murdered is the people who are watching, right? They were witnessing to the love. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, we were just talking about that in my small group a little bit. I don't know if anyone from my small group is here. Um, but we were talking about how prayer and fasting and, like, what, how that actually helps people. Like, what does me, like, not eating a meal have anything to do with you and your salvation? Um, which was a really cool conversation for us to have. But how it's not always about, like, the fact that, like, I took a cold shower or I slept on the floor for you. It like, it's not about me doing any of those things, though those can help with my own sanctity and whatnot. It's the fact that, like, I am telling you and loving you enough to not just say, like, oh, I prayed for you at Mass yesterday, or, oh, I said a single Hail Mary for you, or even, like, I don't know, I feel like a rosary is a bit more of a sacrifice of time, but, like, you're showing that, like, right. yeah, like, I love you enough to, like, sleep on the floor for you or to take cold showers for a week for you. I love you that much. Um, yeah, and it's the people around you who hear that and the, the kind of witness of love from that person and how they feel that. Anyway, that was a tangent. But um, here's another... Oh, this is a good one. I thought this was interesting. Um, totally maybe not worth answering, but kind of cool. Um, say the world goes without the internet for some unforeseeable reason. What do you as a media evangelist do to continue and further your evangelization? If the world does not have the internet, how do you evangelize through the media? I mean, yes, <laughs> you use you use forms of the media that aren't on the internet um, that existed at, before the internet. Yeah, there there are there are quite a few um, books. I don't know, write a book, <laughs> <laughs> like use a paper. Um, yeah, I mean, like there's there's so much, you know, like. Um, again, thank, I'm, I'm going to give a, yet another shout out to my personal hero, Blessed James Alberioni, who started his, um, who started his religious communities basically with newspapers. That was like the media they were starting with, yes. right? He started with a diocesan newspaper, mm -hmm. right? And then he built from there, right? So then he started printing books. Then he started, you know, once radio happened, they got into radio. Once movies happened, they became, you know, some of the, the forerunners in Italian cinema. And, in all of those ways, you know, what you're doing really is just saying, where are people? Where are their hearts? What is shaping the minds and the hearts of the people of God? And then how can we bring the gospel there? Yeah. It's not about like picking your favorite thing and deciding like you're going to be awesome at that favorite thing and then happen to sprinkle some gospel on the top. Yeah. It's really like going out in different ways into the world and using what's really touching people and yeah. using it to, to shape their hearts with the message of Jesus Christ. Yeah, asking the question, where are the people, and then going there. Um, yeah, for sure. And being a, a journalism student, I definitely recognize that. And we, we have those conversations all the time, like how many students at Boston College are actually picking up a paper newspaper and reading it cover to cover? But like we have those conversations all the time about like what if someone happens to like pick up our paper in the dining hall um, and that sort of thing. But yeah, newspapers, video, et cetera. Um, I know you're, you started to dabble in video editing a little while I'm ago. I'm only just now starting. I think 2020 is going to be, for me, like the year of video. Um, okay. Because, like, 2019 was really the year I got into, I mean, even just the idea of media evangelization and, you know, Twitter and all that stuff. Like, I was just kind of, like, just starting to get into it this time last year with mm. Seek. So um, I think this will be, like, my year to, to learn a little bit more about that. And I'm really, one of the things I'm fascinated about with, the idea of using different media for evangelization specifically is the fact that 
they facilitate communion in different ways and to deeper yeah. degrees, right? So the limit, I think one of the great limitations of Twitter is the fact that it is small and bite-sized. Yes. And yep. so, like, I think that's, it's, it's something where you can learn to work with it, but it doesn't have as much potential for communion as video or something like that, yeah. right? Yep. So it's yeah. like the same, same root of those words, right? Communion, communication. Mm, true. Yes. That's another good potential title. Um, speaking of the video thing, though, I used to, I used to have a YouTube channel, like, way back. That's actually fun fact. Didn't that's, you just start getting into vlogging again? I did. And yes, I, I did my homework Twitter. for this episode. You did? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, I have a YouTube channel called Lives Life. Um, but I used to... Everyone should go follow it right now. Oh, yes. Subscribe to her vlog. <laughs> um, there will be... I am vlogging this week, so that'll happen. That'll be up <laughs> at some point. Um, I used to, though, when I was like 13, I think I started a YouTube channel, and that's how Bishop Reed found me. Through your 13-year-old? Um, through my 13-year-old. That's awesome. Like, terrible iMovie, like, transitions and, like, those, like, awful, like, swipes. And And a successor to the Apostles looked at your channel. He said, this right here is what we need for Catholic TV. And I, I think, love that so much. I think I was telling you this earlier. It's not only that he, like, saw it once and was like, oh, that girl, she's real good with iMovie transitions. <laughs> it was, he saw a video once around the March for Life waited an entire year, followed my YouTube channel and social media for a year. And then the next March for Life, after I came out with that March for Life vlog, he reached out then and was like, that's oh, hilarious. I've been watching your video for like a whole year. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I <laughs> love Bishop Reed. I hope he listens to this yes, episode. I hope I'm, so too. I'm still very grateful for the fact that he let me basically crash the studio when I was in Boston <laughs> last year. So yes. I hope I get to come up and visit again soon. Please do. There are exciting things happening. And like, there are so many podcasts you could crash now because we have a brand new platform that actually launched yesterday when we're recording this. So January 1st. Yes. It's called Grexly. um, G-R-E-X-L-Y. And it comes from the word Grex in Latin, which means flock. But it also um, is a type of orchid that comes from two different like parents of two different lineages. Um, but it's a nod to the little flower who is our... Oh, that's great. Yes, our She's patroness. my patron saint, too, so I'm, really? I'm a big ah, fan. That's, Real yes. big fan. She runs my life. Mm. Can we actually pause for a second? I have, I have a, a question for a priest. What is the difference between... Do people just randomly pick patrons when they feel like it? Because there's one thing when people are talking about patrons... <laughs> <laughs> when you, like, have a confirmation saint, you pick that, but then, like... People on Catholic Twitter and people everywhere are like, oh, she's my patron saint. And I'm like, you said that about five other saints. I mean, it's some people definitely randomly pick their patron saint. But at the okay. same time, I think the saints kind of roll with it, too. Like, sometimes true. people will, like, pick a saint, you know, in high school when they're getting confirmed. And, like, they don't care. Like, they're like, everyone pick St. Patrick. I'm going to pick St. Francis. Right. That was me. So, I was a rebel, and I was like, I'm a girl, so I'm going to pick a guy. Exactly. So fun <laughs> fact Francis. about so fun fact about my patron saints is the fact that I was confirmed without a patron saint. Really? Yeah. So oh. because my catechesis program in my parish was a little iffy, and <laughs> they're like, we the, nobody knew about patron saints, I guess. So like nobody told me I was supposed to pick a saint, and I didn't. And like. I made it all the way to, like, the end of college before I realized that was a thing. I'm like, oh, no, I don't have any saints, like, (laughs) in my life. And so, like, actually, it was, like, this kind of, like, weird quest that I was going on in my prayer life, like, asking all the saints, like, are you my patron? Are you my patron? (laughs) And, like, I asked St. Louis de Montfort, and he's like, no. So (laughs) they asked St. John Paul II, and he's like, nah, still no. I want to know what these conversations sounded like. It's a long story. Okay. So what, what, and what happened was that St. Therese actually like really powerfully kind of like 
showed up in my prayer life and in my ministry um, my first year of seminary. And I realized very quickly that I think the reason that she did that was because I would not have, and the reason I think in God's good providence that I did not pick a patron saint in high school is I would not have picked St. Therese as a high school guy. Like, no high school guy picks the little flower as his mascot, (laughs) right? So, but now she's like, I mean, one of my heavenly best friends. And like, I think it's a a situation where there's kind of both and going on, right? But our patron saints are, I mean, they're, they're real people. Like, they take an interest in our lives. Very often, it'll be someone who shares a similar kind of um, charism to us that God is giving us, wants to raise up in our lives, or someone who went through similar situations in life to us. Mm. Yeah. All right. So what's your advice for those of us who picked a, well, I mean, there's no, like, if you pick a bad saint, there's no bad saint. But, like, what if I picked it for, like, not a great reason, and he doesn't quite resonate with me anymore? Can I pick another one? I mean, you can definitely have more than one patron saint, I think, in terms of, like, you know, friends. And it's not like there's, like, rules for this, <laughs> as <laughs> far as I know. Advice. <laughs> um, but I, so, like, again, another good example of that is my relationship to Blessed Alberioni, who didn't become one of my patrons until, like, last year and is now, like, one of the biggest influences and models for my priesthood. Yeah. So, and it was because... I grew into the charism of that of that spirituality in a way that was like it was something that took a lot of time and it happened throughout my spiritual journey in seminary. But then only once I had like really hit a point where I understood who I was as like, you know, a priest in the church, where I could see that the kind of priest I was was something that he embodied. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the um it's it's one of those things where like saints are gonna come into your lives in different ways. Yeah. I think throughout your life um, and they're going to do so in a way that's, you know, both on their terms and yours. Right. So like you can, you can go looking for a saint who is someone you can relate to because of some kind of issue you're going on. That's why we have these patronages. You're like, I need somebody to be the patron saint of knee pain right now. I'm going to go look it up online. Right. But then sometimes like you also have someone who like the saint will be like stalking you in a way and you're like I don't know why they care you know why is Saint Teresa of Avila after me yes and then that develops as you know your time and your prayer go on yeah yeah so different saints for different seasons of life yeah okay I like that answer I'm satisfied I still love Francis (laughs) but (laughs) I mean there's like no real answer to this question I'm just making things up but I mean that's been my experience yeah I don't know that was a pondering I did pick Francis for angsty reasons but also like I was an environmental activist. Yeah, but he was up. an angsty guy. I think he'll get it. Like, that, yeah, that you is know, true. he he he'll get it. He'll I, see. That's that would be my other piece of encouragement. It's like if you picked a saint for totally random, superficial reasons, that doesn't mean they don't care about you, right? True. They, they they're going to be invested yeah. in your life. You're like, you're stuck with them now. Great. <laughs> my name will forever be Olivia Rose Francis. Um, all right, let's move on. Are we good? <laughs> <laughs> Are we good here? Um, I'm good if you're good. <laughs> perfect. All right, next question. This is a good one, and I'm glad we have some religious in the audience. Um, how could or should... Okay, wait a sec. How could slash should, parentheses, or may, may they should... Whatever. Religious communities use media to show their lives and spread about vocations, or should groups like at Women Religious... Um, use media to speak on behalf of orders that aren't on social media, like cloisters. So, yeah, that's an interesting thing. I didn't really think about cloisters and such. Right. Yeah. So I think um, this is something that I, that 
this this plays very much into a lot of my a lot again a lot of the things I'm I'm kind of curious about in terms of like the way that media fits into the life of the church. Um, but I think this is something that every community has to discern based on what their role is in terms of the preaching and prophetic ministry of the church, right? Because all of us, um, it, right? What is religious life? It's an intensification of these baptismal this baptismal uh, commitment to Christ as right, priest, prophet, and king. We all have some kind of way of sharing in that prophetic ministry, but not everyone shares in it in the same way. And so it's something where the charism of a community is going to shape the way in which it engages with things like media or any other kind of prophetic outreach or apostolate or tool. And it's something where I think they have to figure out how is, you know, first, how is God calling them to build up the church? And then how do these tools fit into that prophetic dimension of their ministry, right? And so it's much more obvious, I think, for communities that are actively oriented, like you have the Dominicans, where you know, preaching and teaching is something that is fundamental to their identity. They are the order of preachers. And so I think it's very obvious the way in which using the media is a natural outgrowth of that. Yeah. Um, and then you know, even more obviously so in the Pauline communities where you've got communities founded to use the media, right? Yes. Yeah. Right, so that the flip side of that is there are communities where perhaps that prophetic dimension is not so outwardly oriented, right? And if you're a contemplative community, then, you know, a lot of the way in which you contribute to the prophetic ministry of the church is really by praying for the preachers, mm. right? Yeah. Again, to bring the Dominicans up, right? The first religious branch of the Dominicans that were founded were actually the cloistered nuns. Mm. And they were founded to pray for the brothers who were preaching. And they were contributing in a very real and powerful way to the life uh, and the ministry of these friars. But they were not the ones out there preaching, right? Yeah. So for them, that might not, you know, something like um, a really kind of outward-oriented, media-oriented um, preaching would not really be a, something that would be natural or even helpful to them. Um, now, to come back around to that question, there's this whole question, of, of course, as well of, like, promotion and vocations. Yeah, vocation. I think where, where this really is a live issue now is, like, how do you use media to bring other people into your life, um, like the life of the community? Uh, how do you encourage vocations in the larger church? Um, and I think part of the reason we're actually getting to this point where we're trying to have everyone on social media is almost a failing on the part of the church to build up its different branches and its different communities. Because I don't think the poor Claire's in my parish would have to be on the internet if no. we were just like encouraging people to discern a vocation as a poor Claire. Yeah. Right? We just wouldn't need to do that, right? No. And so um, I think a lot of this is happening actually because almost of a failure on the part of a vocation culture is my intuition. Yeah. Um, is the, the fact that we have not successfully recognize the value that the different organs and parts of the body of Christ build each other up and that we need to be supporting everyone's vocations because yeah. without every single part of the church, the church as a whole suffers. Mm. Yes. So that's my intuition. Um, now, specifically to the point of, um, I mean, groups like uh, At Women Religious who are the CMSWR, yeah. right? I, I, they're good friends of mine and I've been encouraging them to do exactly that, to um, take up active uh, social media promotion because what they are is they are exactly that. They are a body representing a whole lot of different communities in the life of the church, you yeah. know, mostly active communities, but they are all communities um, that have different sizes, different charisms, and a larger body like that can do a great role, I think, if they take ownership of that role that they have in supporting the, all its different members. Um, 
they can do a lot to promote communities that don't have as much of a public image, right? Yeah. So, like, lots of people know about one of the member communities, Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia, right? Shout yeah. out. But <laughs> very few of them know by comparison about, say, like, you know, Passionists or, like, you know, Visitation Sisters, right? So, like, yeah. a lot of these communities don't have as much of a public profile, which is fine, except for the fact that if we don't support them ourselves personally, you know, yeah. we being people like, you know, people in parish ministry or diocesan priests, if we don't encourage their vocations, they suffer. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I was also just thinking, so obviously, take away from that, not every order ever has to be on Twitter. That doesn't need to happen. And like your example with poor Claire's, I'm not sure that like the people discerning to be a poor Claire might be super active on Catholic Twitter. So, like, once again, the question of, like, where is my flock? Where are the people I'm trying to reach? Um, and trying to meet them there. Like, that young girl trying to discern, she might not be on TikTok. But, like, the Daughters of St. Paul are trying to reach other people on TikTok. Yeah. Maybe not their discerning community. Um, the other point is, so maybe all you need for your order is, like, someone to come in and produce a really good, like, discernment video. Um and just about the charism of the order and get that out there and get a bigger account like women religious um, to share that or have a really good website or, I don't know, even just your promotional materials here, like your sign and your, uh, I don't know, cards, pamphlets, whatever. But the importance um, later this season, we just started a new season of the To The Heights podcast. Later this season, we're going to talk to a few artists um, and Nell O'Leary from Blessed Is She about the importance of beautiful design and making sure that everything we put out like reflects the beauty of the creator. Um, and something that's really attractive to people my age is that beautiful design. So making sure you don't need to be on all of the social media platforms. Not everyone needs to be on Twitter, TikTok, everything. Like you don't need to be on Snapchat if that isn't part of your charism. Um, another good quote from the show. Um, but the few things that you do pick, like try to do them really well and invest in them and like make sure your like pamphlets are really appealing and like make someone want to pick them up um, and attract the audience that you want. Make sure your website is functional and up to date and doesn't have like, I don't know, blinking letters or something. <laughs> like, I don't know. Just make sure that put your energy into the few things that you do do and do them really well. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, Maybe we should do the part of my show that part of the show I've been looking forward to the most. The quick questions. Oh yes. Oh yes. What time is it? Depending on how quick. Oh. Depending on how quick your questions are. Oh wait, I have two not. Okay, I. So some people, despite our our desperate attempts to get questions on the media, some people, and maybe one of them is sitting out there, um, who I love dearly, asked questions that was not about media. Would you like to hear them? Sure. I'm what just going to like stare at you the entire time I'm saying it though. Yes. Um, what are your thoughts on being gluten free and being a Catholic? Yes. Um, I have lots of thoughts and lots. <laughs> I have so many. Thoughts I have lots too. of thoughts and even more feelings about the life and times of gluten intolerant Catholics. Yes. Um, and it's been very funny listening to that little announcement at the end of it, of, of every, every mass. mass. If you, for all the gluten intolerance, <laughs> you're. Go to go to this chalice. Yes. Um, yes, I am gluten intolerant. Yeah, it's a it's a weird niche problem of which I have even more weird niche problems because I'm not only Catholic, I am a priest, and yes. I spend a lot of time holding and consuming bread as part of my daily life and ministry. Um, actually, I mean, it's not bread anymore, but we all know that. Um, yeah. Eucharistic theology. Yes. Yep. So, being gluten intolerant, being Catholic. 
So what's the obvious problem? Um, there's a lot of lovely wheat imagery in the Bible, and we all have a very weird relationship to it because uh, we're consuming on a regular basis uh, the Eucharist, which is the body of Christ, but is also the transformed uh, wheat bread that is brought yes. up in the hosts, right? And it has to be wheat bread. That is something yeah. that occasionally comes up and people will be like, why can't we use rice? Why can't we use yucca flour? Why can't we use sweet potatoes? And the answer is because Jesus used wheat and we have to use wheat. That is just the rules. We can't change the rules. We didn't invent the rules. Jesus made the rules. And so we have to use wheat. Now, where this obviously becomes a problem is because the accidents, if we're going to use the the technical theological terms, the accidents of bread remain in the host most of the time, right? With the exception of the rare Eucharistic miracle, then that means that those of us who are allergic to gluten in any way, shape, or form, when we receive a normal host, are going to have a bad day. Yes. <laughs> a really bad day. To leave it at that. Um, <laughs> and so this leaves us in a quandary where we can either, you know, not receive the host or we can use the carefully labeled low gluten hosts. Yes. Um, and this is a really important distinction. So if anybody who is in charge of anyone's sacristy is listening to this podcast, yes, please listen never, up. <laughs> ever, ever buy gluten-free hosts for your parish, for your church, for your sacristy. Do not do it. It will be invalid matter for the sacrament. You cannot use gluten-free hosts. Yeah. There it is. Yes. Um, and that is because if you take the gluten out of something, out of, out of the wheat, it will no longer be wheat. That is something that is a constitutive element of it. Um, and so the church has actual laws and rules talking about this. But what you can do and what uh, producers of hosts in recent years have done is leave a tiny, tiny bit of gluten yeah. in there so that it's not enough to hurt you, but it's enough to still be bread. Yes. So, I, am, I became a priest at exactly the right point in human history <laughs> because now we have these like awesome presider's host that I can use to celebrate mass. What happened to all of the people with celiac before that? They died. (laughs) That was ominous. (laughs) No, I I don't know. I mean, I I actually, in a a serious answer, I mean, like, I think there are like a lot of people who were like, quote unquote, sickly. Right uh, in history, right? You read you read the biography from someone, and they weren't supposed to. You read the biography from someone who is in like the 1700s. They're like, he was a sickly child. And like, yes. Well, maybe he just didn't like bread, and you were feeding him bagels. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Like, like so. Anyway, I have a lot of feelings about this, partly because like nobody understands no. metaphysics and how it impacts the sacramental life of the church, and partly because I spend all my time like chasing gluten hosts around. So. Yes. Yeah, and chasing out gluten-free hosts. So, again, sacristans, please go check your sacristy. Make sure there's no gluten-free hosts. Um, Do you have any good stories? Oh, my goodness, I have so many. I go to an unnamed college that, before I got there, was using gluten-free hosts. um, And it was made of chickpea flour, which I also cannot eat chickpea. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an insult to injury. It's like, you're already using invalid matter, and also I just can't eat it anyway. So I didn't receive Jesus, and I got sick. Um, That's awful. Yeah. Okay, real real question, though. So what actually happened? Is that just, like, spiritual communion? Like, what did I actually receive? Oh, man. Um, So... Again, this is this is where my failings as a systematic theologian come into play. Um, but I think it's one of those situations where, like, God is at least at least going to respect your desire to receive the grace of communion. Yes. Right. 
Um, and I think spiritual communion is a good analogy. So I don't think he's going to like completely leave you high and dry. You know, he. I hope not. You're, you're, you're seeking those graces, so he's probably going to provide some of those graces. Yes, especially for the many months that I did not know. The questionable period of oh, time no. was when I knew that it was gluten-free, and I kept receiving because I, yeah. Because you didn't want to pick a fight. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then I became sacristan, and I read the ingredients. Nice. Yes. Um, all right, that was a nice tangent. Oh, the other random one is I wanted to know your thoughts on New Year's resolutions, given that it's January 2nd. Do you have any? Do you do New Year's resolutions? I have not had free time to think of New Year's resolutions because I've been here at SLS staying up way too late partying with everyone. Um, Partying with Jesus. Partying with Jesus. (laughs) We had had the coolest New Year's party. Let's let's be real. Um, We we were there for Matt Marr and special guests is what it said on the program. Mm -hmm. Turned out one of the special guests was Jesus Christ present in the body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. um, Because after... We, uh, after we rang in the new year and sang a song, then they pulled out a table and pulled out some candles and we had the monstrance. Yeah. And it was like the coolest way. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone and was like looking around being like, wait, are they doing, are those candles what I think they are? Yes. And I have to, I have to say like for me personally, as someone who, so like, again, I've talked a lot about the Paulines on this episode because I love them dearly. Blessed James Alberioni received the grace to found his communities for the media evangelization on in adoration on the night between the centuries, between, oh, wow. yeah, like 1900, 1901. Um, and he received that grace um, in, as a seminarian. And so, like, as we were there in adoration, I was thinking, like, it's the night between the decades. Like, yes. I really hope someone out there, some teen, some young adult, is, like, receiving some graces now that we're going to look back decades on and say, like, this was the night that he received the grace, that he heard the talk, that they, she received, you know, the inspiration from Christ to do something great and to become a saint for the church. It's like, this is cool. Yes, so cool. Yeah. We were talking about that in my small group, just like the idea that in this like room packed with young women, like the next speakers for like SLS and seek in like, I don't know, 20, 30 years are in this room. Exactly. Like, I mean, maybe not exactly, but like, exactly in the room. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, but like the next Leah Darrow, the next Emily Wilson, the next father, Mike Schmitz, like, is a college student here and like doesn't know that he has a vocation to the priesthood yet. You know what I mean? Like exactly. That, that's right. so cool this to is, think about. This is a key stage where the Lord is building up, you know, a new generation of saints and yes. it's through the sacraments, through these beautiful moments. Yes. Um, so no new year's resolutions. I, yeah. So back to the, I actually answering your question. Oh. Um, new, <laughs> I, I do not, I don't have any, I don't have any new year's resolutions yet, but I think most people are bad at them. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's a good, yes. Most people are very bad at them. And it's because we don't know how to set manageable goals for ourselves. Um, True. So, like, I mean, if I were going to make a New Year's resolution, I would hopefully pick something small and manageable that would lead me closer to God. So that should be your goals, guys. Yes, I like that. Looking at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I personally don't have any yet. I'm kind of anti-New Year's resolutions a little bit, but partially maybe it's just because I was bad at them or maybe our culture is bad at them. Don't wait till New Year's to make your life a little bit better. Yes. Like, seriously. Yeah. Like yeah. make make like a Monday morning resolution. I like that, or just like a daily resolution. Mm. Okay. Um, Get holier, please. Yes. <laughs> that just yeah. I think my resolution. Quit that, being terrible. Quit being terrible. <laughs> That's real self-esteem boosting. Um, yeah, my goal two years ago was to give up the liturgy of the hours and to get one (laughs) your goal is to give up the give up praying (laughs) give give up the liturgy (laughs) hours and to get like one step 
closer to Jesus at like the end of 2018 than at the beginning or something. Okay. That was a few years ago. The backstory to the Liturgy of the Hours was when I like... Yeah, I have to ask. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of... You can't just leave that hanging there. Um, I realized, and I, I don't know, I guess I'm proud of the prudence in that. And I guess I can circle back to them now. But I, when I had my like conversion in high school and like was super pumped and on fire for Christ... I started praying the Liturgy of the Hours and I was that like super weird kid who like stopped everything to pray like every hour all the time and like I had the books like I didn't uh, just I didn't just have the app I had the books so too. you were committed yeah I was all in um and I was super weird and like I was the weird kid um but I got too like perfectionist about it which is definitely something like, back to knowing yourself and like knowing your own temperament um I very like I don't know like I was I was that kid in high school I was the valedictorian in my class and like everything organized all the time and I committed myself to all those hours and was more about the perfection of checking off the boxes than actually praying them so I challenged myself to break that cycle of perfectionism and to give them up which you don't often hear about people giving up prayer but I did I I like that though because prayer in a weird kind of way can become an idol if you don't approach it the right way yeah that is something I've actually I have a project brewing stay tuned um but that I've been thinking about and reflecting on a lot about how like the life teen culture and somewhat here too um but it's always like people are challenging you like oh pray for 20 minutes a day pray for 15 minutes a day you right. have to have this amount of time in silence and this amount of time in scripture. box checking yeah. yes and box checking and like it's not about authentic like i don't know conversation and relationship and community anymore it's about like oh i need to go into my bedroom and set a timer for f- 15 minutes like rather than just like this praying without ceasing like organic relationship um yeah, I have a lot of things to say about that. But I, I guess I teased it a little bit. I do have a project coming out that somewhat with Tommy Ty about Catholics yeah, and <laughs> Catholics and mental health. There's a blog somewhat similar to Blessed Is She, um, where people can collaborate with us um, and submit their own articles about the experience of Catholicism and mental health. It's still in the works. It does have a name. I'm not going to tell you what the name is, um, but stay tuned. And if that sounds like something that you either have some experience with or professional experience with, definitely reach out um, to us at To The Heights CTV um, and let me know if you want to be part of that. All right. I think it's officially Catholic Quick Questions time. It is time. It is officially time. Let's make it happen. Yes. Um, all right. Can you guess what my first question is? Favorite book of the Bible? No. That usually is. I, I was, actually... Uh, you're so good. That, that I did, I, I'm telling you, you I did, did my homework. homework. Um, so I added one after we talked yesterday. Um, what's your favorite animal? My favorite animal? See, I was worried that we'd ask that because that's like the <laughs> one thing I have like not that many strong feelings about. Uh, you um, do have some strong no, feelings. No, I, t- I take that back. Um, so <laughs> one of my very favorite animals, I guess it'll be my favorite animal for the purposes of this podcast, is goats. I do yes. like goats. Um, and I know that's come up on a previous episode of this podcast. Yes. Um, Hashtag goats. Yeah, shout out goats. Sister Bethany. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, we, she and I have a history with, with goats, um, both individually and together. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, as a as the, the, the very brief backstory, so as not to get weird, is that um, I w- when I was in community college, before I transferred to my four-year school, I did an honors project, and they, ha- they were like, you can do whatever you want. Um, like, it just has to be tied into one of your classes. And so my biology professor was also my dad. And oh, wow. he was the, his was the class I was doing the honors enhancement for. So I'm like, 
now I can really do whatever I want because yeah. like my dad will basically just sign off on it. So I was like, I'm going to do a project on the goat dairy industry in Virginia. I just did like this big map of the thing and I visited a goat farm. I took videos and like everyone on the faculty of the school was super skeptical until they came to my presentation and I ended it. I said, all right, now it's time for a tasting board. And so I just, like, rolled out all these cheeses, and they're like, all right, we're fans. This is great. That's awesome. <laughs> so I just, like, stuffed them with cheese, and it was great. Got my degree. Yes. Yeah. All right. Goats. That, that was a perfect way. Hashtag goats. We welcome all goat memes. All goat-related submissions to yes, this podcast. For sure. Um, all right. Now we're on to the one that you so well predicted. What is your favorite book of the Bible? I believe my favorite book of the Bible generally speaking, is the Gospel of John because it is the one that has most profoundly impacted my, I think, my priesthood and my vision of, of priestly ministry. Um, and one of my favorite verses is, I believe it's John twelve thirty two, right? Our Lord saying, when he's lifted up, he will draw all people to himself, yes. right? And there's so much going on there that you can unpack, right? It's this, like, partly it's the fact that the cross, when he's lifted up on the cross, that is a glorification. It is a beautiful thing in a mysterious way. And so when we share in that same cross, when we share in our Lord being lifted up, right, to suffer first, right, we also share in the glory that is his resurrection, right? So that it, there, there's so much there. Like, it's something that really shaped my priesthood. That's beautiful. And if you listen to the Ask Olivia episode, um, that was also my answer. Gospel Wait, really? John. Yes. I yeah. did not know that. I have yes. not finished listening. Like, I'm yeah. like halfway through the episode right now. That, that was hilarious. a fun episode. Okay. Um, for those of you who have not listened to it, after a season of asking people all sorts of questions, I asked for submissions of questions for myself, and also our producer came up with questions, and she made me sit through, like, Catholic quick questions and stuff, and it was a wonderful, bantery, hilarious It's thing. really fun. I yes. listened to about half of it on yeah. the flight here. Did you get to the almond butter part? I don't think I did. No. Someone randomly... So, like, people are asking me, like, theology no, questions. No, wait. I did hear this. This yeah. was almond or... It was, it was almond butter? or sunflower butter. Sunflower yeah. butter is terrible, guys. Yeah. Like, why does anyone eat it? It's, no. like, green. And like, why wasn't not peanut okay. butter an option? Yeah. I, I don't know. We, I am... We digress. Yes. All right. Anyway, what's... All right. Gospel of John. What's your favorite book in general? My favorite book in general is Story of a Soul by St. Therese of Lisieux, who, mm-hmm. as we discussed, is my patron saint. And I've read it, like, ten times. And it's, like... After scripture, it is the book that keeps on giving the most to me. Like, there's just so much in it. And because St. Therese is such a dear friend of mine, like, I feel like I'm getting to know her better through the process, but also getting to know myself through the lens of her spirituality. So Mm -hmm. it's something that, again, has done a whole lot for my identity as a priest. Yeah. All right. So Kelsey and I, the producer of this, made a commitment that at some point we will read all of the book recommendations that people give to us ah, as I knock my laptop over. Um, but I have avoided, not avoided, I just haven't read Story of a Soul yet. There's which, literally a relic of St. Therese like in your lobby, right? Yes, it's there Catholic is. TV. And you she's our patroness. It. And also my middle name is Rose and forever Bishop yeah. Reed and like theology teachers in high school have always like called me the little flower jokingly. Um, Bishop Reed still calls me the little flower and I still have not read Story of a Soul, but you just forced me to read it. Take, take the hint. Yes, I, yep. She she definitely Saint stalks me. That and Saint Monica has been, I don't know anything about Saint Monica, but has been Saint stalking me recently. I'll let you know how that goes. Um, we One of my questions was, what's your confirmation name? Don't have one. Nope. Um, I'm nameless. <laughs> just I'm, like, I'm the nameless priest. <laughs> yes. Um, what is your favorite non-Twitter platform? My favorite non-Twitter platform is 
does YouTube count? Sure. Because um, I think video as a media is something that is just like always, always powerful. And the way that video, video, like the ways in which people engage in it are always changing. But like video in general, I think is one of the most humanizing platforms and humanizing ways to reach people through the media, right? Because mm -hmm. you have the most content, you have the most visual and audio content. Um, and so for that reason, I think it's probably my favorite. It's the one I want to get into the most this year. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a good one. I'll be right there with you. Yeah. Um, and fun fact, here's, here's a Twitter versus YouTube fun fact. I was first introduced to the Daughters of St. Paul and Sister Bethany, not via Twitter, but via YouTube. Because I found in the dark holes of the internet that really <laughs> old video of Sister Bethany and the Ask the Postulants videos. Oh, those are great. From like forever ago, though. And I found them, I don't know, a few years ago. And then I started going on retreats with the Daughters of St. Paul. And yes, um, yeah. <laughs> this whole podcast has basically just been us talking about how much we love you guys. Yes. I mean, how could you talk about like Catholicism and media and like how to modernly use it? In People the right do it sometimes. I don't, I don't know what they're doing. It's wrong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're, right. the, they're the, the OG media apostles. Yes. Um, all right, switching gears. What is your favorite place that you've traveled? My favorite place that I've traveled to? Um, I have really enjoyed the two times I've visited Italy. Um, okay. It just in general, it's a beautiful country, obviously. And there is just so much, so much of Catholicism is rooted there. Um, and I mean, obviously we're the Roman Catholic church. And so Rome is in a, of itself a unique place. If you are a Catholic, there is so much grace to be had by going there and just reflecting on the lives of the martyrs and their witness and everything that's happened since. Um, so I guess, I guess Italy, uh, in very, very many ways, that's somewhere that's just near and dear to my heart. Mm, yes. I currently, on Sunday, I have to uh, submit my study abroad application and I'm currently trying to decide Do between it. Rome and Jerusalem. Go to Rome. I like That's Jerusalem. My <laughs> ah. Jerusalem's cool. Yeah. Um, either that or I was looking at a semester. But then, okay, you can't go to Mass while you're, like, in the middle of the ocean. That's a really bad idea. Yeah. But, like, it also, yeah. Not that I'm telling you how to run your life, but I'm telling you how to run your life. And as a priest, my professional advice is go somewhere <laughs> where you can receive the sacraments. Yes. Not in the middle of the ocean. I will consider your advice um, a you. lot. <laughs> That's what? better than I can say for some people I give it to. Ah, yeah. Um, on that note, what? Is <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just giving you, I'm giving you a hard time as the episode is going. It's it's good. It's all good. Um, so, going off of the sacraments, what is your favorite form of prayer or way to pray slash your favorite prayer? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you probably know the you listened. Probably Eucharistic adoration, um, which I you can't do on a boat. I mean, you could, but well. You want to come with me on the be, boat so you can no. consecrate them? No, I mean, like, no. Um, Eucharistic adoration is probably where I've received all the most significant graces of my life and discernment. And so, like, for that reason, I just have a really special place in my heart. Mm. Um, yeah, like, I think, you know, I started thinking about the priesthood while I was in adoration. I received this great, this really powerful grace of reconversion before that um, in adoration like where I like the first time encountered Jesus Christ in a really real way in my life was in adoration at a life team Stephenville conference. Um, like everything, like, like spending time in the presence of Jesus Christ is always going to impact you. And that's definitely where I've been shaped mm. as a, just as a person. Yeah. Solid answer. Um, if you could meet any Pope, who would it be? 
I know everyone says this, but really, John Paul II, um, he's a hero. He's always been a role model for my priesthood. Um, I mean, the dude was awesome. Let's yeah. be real. Like, yeah. he, he, he was just so fun. Like, I've talked to, I, I've talked to people. We had a Swiss guard um, who um, served with him actually come and give a talk at the seminary, and he was just talking about yeah. how fun he was. Right, he's just like a really joyful man, but he was also obviously just incredibly holy. Yeah. And so you would, you know, you would you would find him just completely deep in prayer, um, just in as much as he would also, you know, make fun of you or you know, like yeah. ask about how your life was going. Like he was really personally invested in everyone around him, whether they were the Swiss Guards or whether they were, you know, the Cardinals who were in his, his curial staff or, you know, the sisters who made him dinner. Like, yeah. in, no matter who you were, he saw God in you. Yeah. And so it would just be, again, I know that I think that was a, a previous answer on someone else's episode. It's just like, like all of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, seriously, like the man was yeah. insane. Yeah, he was there's incredible. a reason why everyone says. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right, we've talked a lot about saints, um, but you, if you could be best friends with any saint, who would it be? I love that question. I'm glad you asked me because I already feel like I'm best friends with St. Therese. Okay. And I, I, I don't want to act like people in heaven aren't real people yeah. or like they don't care about us anymore. Like our relationships with them are real. They're active yes. in our lives. Um, and so like, I feel like it's almost unfair to them to act, like not pretend they're, pretend they're not my friends. Yes. So I actually, I mean like on some level, I feel like St. Therese is almost my best friend already because mm-hmm. like she's been such a big part of my life. Yeah. So. Yeah. Solid Shout answer. out to the little flower. And I will read a story of a soul at some you point. You gotta read it. Soon. It's so good. Yes. All right. I will. Um, all right. I think that's all I have for you. We have to wrap up. Um, but a little, a little shout out to at the Happy Priest on that's Instagram hey. too, Twitter and Instagram. Twitter and Instagram and now YouTube. I've yes. got one video up. It's kind of janky. I'm gonna work on work on my video skills pretty soon. So that you'll see quality improving. Um, but I'm hoping to do more like videos on discernment and life as a young Catholic. And then I'll also be doing some video content for my parish, hopefully just talking about like how it really focused on family ministry and how to bring the faith into a family environment and like the liturgical year and stuff like that. Can you vlog a day in the life of a priest? I could probably do that. Yeah. Yes. All right. Solid idea. Um, all right. So at the happy priest, um, I am at Olivia Rose underscore art. OliviaRoseArt.com, and the podcast is at ToTheHeightsCTV. Um, you can also find us now on Grexley.com slash ToTheHeights, um, and our Patreon for Grexley is Patreon.com slash Grexley. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, in addition to Grexley. And if there is someone who you think should be on the podcast, who's a young person who is making change and reaching to the heights in a unique way that we should talk to, um, Tweet us, DM us at to the Heights CTV or to the Heights Podcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. Um, thank you guys so much for coming and thank you for all the listeners who are listening in. I'm so, so grateful for this opportunity. A year ago, this podcast was not a thing and now we're recording at SLS, which is crazy. So thank you so, so much. Um, anything else? Thank you to everyone who uh, continues to support all the work of media ministry. I think it's an area that the church needs to continue to grow in and you guys are awesome. Thank you. Yeah.